It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now at 919-860-9783 with your financial planning questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Well, Dean, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? I've got a couple of questions. What kind of cost are you looking at for, for financial services such as yours? Well, I never go ahead and mention advisory fees on the air because they differ according to clients. We charge at our practice. We charge by the hour. Some planners go ahead and give a flat annual fee. We do offer that to certain clients. Other planners go ahead and charge any number of types of either by the hour or by the quarter, by the month, by the year, by the plan, and so forth. But if you'll call the office during the week, Linda will go ahead and she can discuss that with you a little more. My job tonight is to really to sort of educate you as to what's out there and how a planner functions. Okay, good. good. The other question I had is about re- retirement. I'm sort of remiss in getting any retirement plan started, but uh, I recently uh, talked to an insurance agent who suggested that I, or suggested a plan for me, and, and when he brought forth the plan, it essentially was a whole life policy uh, and uh, investing a certain amount in that each month and it building up over a period of time. Uh, and I really was trying to find out if there, you know, one is that is that a sound way to go about it? I mean, obviously, I guess I can use the additional coverage, but I feel like I have enough life insurance coverage. Life insurance is an arrangement between you and an insurance company that you will pay a small amount of money, called a premium, as you and I know, and that at the time that you die the insurance company will pay your beneficiary a whole bunch of money. And if you go ahead and buy a $100,000 policy or a $500,000 policy, and you go ahead and make the first monthly premium of maybe it's only $500, and you die the next month, then your wife won because she got a half million dollars and you only cost her $500. Okay, that's the gamble, and that's called, that's called risk management. That's exactly what it is legally. It's risk management. Interestingly enough... It is against the law in North Carolina, according to the insurance commissioner's regulations, to use the term investment with regard to insurance. One of the things he was saying was that if one, it was would accumulate the money would accumulate tax free. When you think about what's accumulating in your insurance policy, what you're doing is you're paying more money than the real cost of that insurance, and it's going into an accumulation account that is cash value. But before it gets into that cash value account, first come the commissions that go out, then come the uh, administrative cost of running the insurance company, and so forth. So that cash value, yes, you are able to borrow out your own cash value. And yes, it does accumulate tax-free, but my goodness, you if, if your goal is to accumulate money, do it over in a mutual fund or an investment. Because the day you start to take money out of that insurance policy, out of that cash value account, 
you're basically taking money from your future widow. You see what I mean? You're borrowing from the death benefit. And if you borrow out long enough, you'll collapse the insurance policy. So don't confuse the two. Insurance is not a retirement vehicle. It's not an investment. Essentially, if I've got enough money to invest an additional sum of money each month, it would be better off even if it's not a tax or maybe there's other way to do it tax-free. Absolutely. First, we do need to look at the risk coverage necessary and buy an inexpensive 20-year level term policy if we need to go ahead and have a certain amount to cover. But the amount of money for retirement, you need to put that money monthly into an investment program. But I just wanted everybody out there to understand that insurance is for death protection and investments are investments, and we shouldn't confuse those two. And if you have further questions, call the office in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And we appreciate your calling. Okay, thank you. And you can also go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. DougAndLinda.com. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. So in total financial planning, what is the first thing after we've gathered all of the data and about the client, what's the first thing that we need to address? We need to analyze their situation, find out what their current financial status is. And then after we've analyzed it, then we need to go ahead indeed and look at what is the need for insurance. What is the need? That's right. Yeah, That's right. exactly right. So it's not a matter of we ignore insurance. Oh, no. No, but no, insur- no. But if it's a single person who has no wife or children, then probably no need for any insurance at all. If it's a married couple uh, and with young children and maybe one the the one earns... The the, live, the, the, the income and the others a stay-at-home spouse, then that income is a, needs to be needs protected. To be yeah. so all of that needs to be covered immediately, first of all. But from there on, now we don't confuse insurance as an investment vehicle. No, 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 no. And we need to understand that uh, if a person purchases insurance, they're transferring risk, right? That's why they're doing it. That's exactly right, Linda. Um, And if they purchase the insurance, there's a commission attached to that insurance. Which is fair. That's fine as long as it's needed to cover that that, that risk. So uh, when people buy insurance, they need to ask, how much is this going to cost me? And how much are you insurance person getting paid for the transaction. But the more important thing is to remember that insurance is not an investment. That's right. So then after we've covered that, then we do need to go ahead and go to what about accumulating for investments? Where are my financial future? That's exactly right, because the probability is much higher that you're not going to die than you are going to die. Yeah, and I I think... um, You know, you have to you have to be careful to not merge goals or merge parts of your financial planning into one and try and make one thing solve two problems. You really have to know insurance is for risk management and covering that income that might be lost and retirement planning is retirement planning. That's right. That's exactly right. And and I, I was glad that he asked the question about what does it cost? Because if you ask that question to somebody you call on the phone and they say, oh, we will give you a free meeting, then just remember there is no free lunch. There's no free lunch. If somebody says, oh, we'll be happy to meet with you for free, then as you said, Linda, there's got to be something somewhere. So that should be a warning right away. And just as he was concerned about, and which is why there he called There may be us, a sales pitch coming. Well, there, there has know. to be. I mean, it's not a matter. Nobody meets for free and does things for free, obviously. 
So you just need to go ahead and realize, as he did, he he should, he wanted to pay for advice, and I was and, glad. And it's important to remember that each person, I agree with both of you, that each person's situation is different, and the need, whatever the need is, it exists. So what you right. want to do is get proper advice to see, to have an analysis, to look at your situation, to sort it all out, to ask the questions that you've had that you wanted to ask, and to get proper answers. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And you know what's funny is that, um, just as an aside, there was an article recently um, about how, in the same way that this question was merging together, should my insurance policy be, life insurance policy be paying for my, uh, so, you know, uh, helping me fund my retirement in the world of securities licenses and life insurance policies. I'm sorry, life insurance um, or just insurance licenses. That's what I mean. They are often merged and people don't know who can sell what. It's been a long time coming, but I, I'm really happy to see that some former securities regulators are now bringing it to the table that there is an abuse happening. Now, there's some older stockbrokers who lost their licenses, but they found a creative way to keep selling investments to their clients by using their insurance license. And this is where the regulators are honing in, because basically a salesperson can pitch a variety of financial products if they are covered, yeah, wrapped by an insurance wrapper and everything. So this is uh, this is this is the new disclosure that happened. I think it was in the Wall Street Journal within the last week. There was an article. Uh, if you do something bad enough to lose your securities license, then this one person says you probably shouldn't have an insurance license either. And the I think the, that individual was one of the regulators in one of the states and everything. A lot of states actually do have some uh, some provisions to start stopping this matter because if a person has done something bad and lost their stockbroker's license, their securities license, then it's my feeling they should be prohibited from now just doing the same thing under, a, under an, in, in, in insurance, a, a insurance license. license. Yeah, typically states require brokers to have securities licenses to sell financial instrument, instruments such as stocks and bonds. Insurance licenses cover products such as fixed annuities, which guarantee the buyer will earn a minimum interest rate for the term of the contract. And variable annuities, however, or variable annuities, however, are considered securities at the federal level, but may be treated, but may be treated as securities or insurance products, um, or by both. But, you know, but there's a there's a there's a um, confusion as to is it the federal or the state saying that the variable annuity or the fixed annuity is a is a security or an insurance product. The actual article pointed to different states that have regulations that coordinate the two and those that don't. And the article said that states without coordination, brokers then fall into a regulatory black hole with nobody watching them. And that means for the public, it's a disaster waiting to happen. So exactly as Linda said, you should find out how the compensation is going to be given to you. Are you getting an insurance commission or are you uh, licensed as a stockbroker? What is it? But the article was a big warning. And I think we're going to see more of that this year with the new regulatory environment that we're under. 
You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Call us at Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000 in Raleigh. What are the tax implications of converting a person's 401k? Well, when you say converting it, converting it to what? To a Roth? You mean Roth Roth conversions? That's exactly right, Linda. The subject of Roth conversions is also going to get a lot of attention this year. It got a lot of attention last year. There was a, uh, a writer who wrote into the News and Observer, and the question written by the writer sort of went like this. I'm thinking about converting my 401k to a Roth IRA this year. I retired late last year at age 65. I have about 750000 in my 401k. I'll receive a five-year payout from my company, about 40000 a year when I retire, and this, plus Social Security, should be adequate to meet my expenses until I'm 70 years old. So I don't need to tap into the Roth for at least five years. I think I have enough cash on hand to cover the taxes owed on the conversion. I figured a conversion is going to help lower my taxes since my Roth will not have to make any required minimum distribution when I hit 70 and a half. I'm divorced. I want my daughter to inherit my IRA. What do you think? So that was the question that was written in. And I think it's really interesting because we get that question again and again and again. But we have to think about this. What is the Roth conversion all about, Deborah? Well, it would be taking something that hasn't been taxed income that's that you uh, your employer um, allowed you to put aside right and then converting it to an account to where you would pay the taxes on it right and then what's the benefit of doing that that's called a Roth right what? so the benefit here would be to take to have your now after tax dollars be able to grow and continue to grow in a tax deferred environment because the Roth IRA allows you to take everything out later on tax-free that's right as long as you meet a couple conditions you have so, to pay the taxes up front, right? When you do the conversion? That's right. But the benefit is once you've got it set up, if you wait five years, everything can come out tax free. That's right. It gives you the ability to use now after tax dollars and let them grow in a tax deferred environment. Okay, and so that's what this lady wrote in to the News and Observer about, and that's exactly what we get so often. The big issue here is how much is it going to cost to convert? Yeah, that. Yeah, now on a uh, uh, 701k plan, retirement plan, it's probably going to cost federal taxes of over $250,000. Then you got to add in North Carolina taxes. So the big question is well, does it make sense for me to pay a quarter million dollars or more right now so that it will be able to not have any taxes later on when it comes out? And that's very complicated. The big issue is. Do I want to take a quarter million dollars and give it to the IRS right now? Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to. DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Right. Right now, you're in a situation where you have something that hasn't been taxed, and it can remain so indefinitely. Exactly. Ex- especially if you don't need to live on it until you age 70. And I shouldn't say indefinitely, but just until age 70. So the real question is, why would you, why would you want to induce or incur this tax? And many, many people are still asking this question, right. should I do it? Because they're being promoted very strongly. 
I think what's needed is a professional who can use a database such as we at Lewis Financial Management, we create a database to analyze this, run the tax projection before and afterwards, and see, does it make sense? Because you can't just answer that question very simply. Right. You need a financial or tax advisor who can analyze your personal situation and help determine if the conversion makes current financial sense. So, what's the negative to it? The negative, of course, is that quarter million dollars that you gave in taxes, you can't invest it. Right. So if you're interested in this, you definitely have to come to the end of it with an answer of analysis. That's right. So, you know, if, if you have that amount of cash lying on hand, you can invest this money rather than use it to pay taxes. In the lady's case who wrote the question, her daughter could inherit the investments that that quarter million dollars got invested in. And then when she died, she'd even get it tax free as a step up in basis. Right. (laughs) So now we get really complicated here. All right. For example... You invest $250,000. It grows, let's say, at 6% after taxes. You die in 20 years. Okay. Well, what's it going to be worth then? Over $800,000. Right. That the daughter would then be able to receive, inherit, and sell tax-free because of... So, whoa, all of that got avoided if you convert because that money never was available. Right. All right. Then you have the question of, well, what about the 401k? What could be done there? Well, she could roll that over to an IRA and let's say get that invested at 7% over the years. And then what might happen, even if she started taking out her retirement, you know, her her required minimum distribution year by year, if she died at age 85, then the daughter might go ahead and still get who knows? 1. Maybe seven million another one point seven plus the eight hundred. Plus the eight hundred. So, so you might end up with numbers like two and a half million, million versus okay. right. a fortune. Yes. It gets really complicated because there are a lot of things to consider. You got to consider what about future Medicare premiums? What about future changes in the tax law? And uh, what about if this person decides they want to get married in the future? There's that's right, Lindsay. This you person got, is only what sixty five. Yeah. Around 65. And so, you know, I met someone that got married at 70. (laughs) I think the bottom line here on the Roth IRAs, just like the charitable trust, Linda, the bottom line is you need to consult with a professional such as we at Lewis Financial Management who will be able to build a database, run the analysis, and then see which way it works out better for you. You can't just answer the question because a column in the newspaper or a column on online said, do Roth IRA conversions. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. For a consultation with Tugger Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. All right, Keith, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? Yes, good afternoon, sir. Under what circumstances may one withdraw from their IRA? I understand there's educational purposes, health problems, and or if you're planning to buy a residence. I would like to buy another home in another state, staying over one half year in that particular state. What's your income, Keith? Oh, half a million. All right. You've got a half million dollar income coming in, and your expenses, I'm sure, are less than a half million a year. Much less, yes. Then uh, what is the, now how much is in your IRA? Oh, probably about uh, 300000 400000 something of that nature. 
unless you retired from another company and you rolled over that old retirement plan into an IRA. Correct. Is that what happened? Yes, sir. Okay. Then you have a rollover IRA. What you're remembering is that there are ways that you can go ahead and and remove money from a retirement plan and not pay the 10% penalty tax. But this money has never been taxed, and the IRS will get its tax. The additional 10% penalty sometimes can be applied. Now, you could get this money out because you're over 50, and we could do it in a series of systematic payments. But no matter how you get it out, you're going to pay tax on it. Okay. To take it out and pay tax on it now, I don't think that's the way that I would advise you. Hey, Keith, have you, ever, have, have you ever worked with a financial planner? I did work with one at uh, one time, and there's uh-huh. good and there's bad. And I received your portfolio initially, and obviously uh, Mr. Lewis uh, has tremendous credentials regarding fame. Uh, it's just that I want to give you a call and ask you a question over the phone. And we appreciate your calling. So, you know, if we can be of any further assistance to you, just give us a call. Okay, in the meantime, okay. have a pleasant evening. All right, Bye. thank you, Keith. To any of our other listeners, if you have a question or if you would like to receive our introductory packet of information, I'll be happy to send it to you. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That is USA 7000. If you have some financial planning concerns or questions about your situation, get a notebook and start jotting down some of those questions and work with a financial planner. You know, Lynn, uh, one of the things that uh, that Keith is remembering, and it's really interesting, the, the, the rules that happen on retirement plans and how to get around, or how to, I shouldn't say get around them, how to maximize the rules. Keith's question was not one that a lot of people have, but a lot of people want to know, is there a way to avoid the 10% penalty tax? And yes, there is a way to avoid the 10% penalty. Now, you cannot avoid the income tax when you take the money out. Because that money has never been taxed. But that extra 10%, which on taking out, you know, a significant amount is significant. Right. Can be avoided by using one of the very little known rules called the series of systematic payments. And the series of systematic payments will work. He could actually have set up, if he wanted to get money out, which he doesn't need to, but if he wanted to, he could set it up over a period of nine years and take the same amount out each year for nine years and avoid that 10% penalty. People generally have, um, some people are confused uh, about their retirement plans, particularly if they separate from a company. And, you know, they they feel that now that I'm leaving this company, can I access this money? Or maybe there's the temptation to do so. But they don't always understand that there is a tax, right, Doug, and a penalty. So you're really not getting everything that uh, you thought you were getting because Uncle Sam's going to take his portion. Well, it's back to social capital. Social capital is the part of your wealth that's not yours. It's destined for society. Learning how to control your social capital is the crucial distinguishing feature. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And you can also go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. DougAndLinda.com. Well, Doug, Linda, there was an article about the minuses of the parental plus loans. Well, since... We happen to be your parentals. Exactly. <laughs> That's Deborah Lewis on the air. <laughs> Hi, Deborah. 
Good to have you with us this evening. Glad you're on the air with us again. I remember seeing that article. Go ahead. Well, what I found interesting was is that there are a lot of people, and we are probably uh, one of them, who recommend the Parent Plus program, which is a federal program um, for parents who are trying to figure out a way to pay for college. Well, that's right. And for parents who are struggling to afford college, the Parent PLUS programs may seem like an attractive option. These are federal programs that let parents borrow as much money as they need to cover the full cost of school minus any financial needs, uh, financial aid that the student gets. So you don't have to do any qualifying here. You can uh, make a half million dollars a year. You can send your child to Harvard and you automatically will be approved for the Parent PLUS programs. So in that sense, it's very good. But uh, if you look a little further, and this was the emphasis of the article, uh, the loan may not be as good as it sounds. So we have to think this thing through. I mean, there are ways that people approach it. Uh, One way is they go straight to their 401k and they can borrow money out of their 401k. Many people have that option. Uh, That's right. And a lot of people go that route. I think that is the worst thing possible. You should, in my opinion, never borrow from your 401k uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, it's been designed by you to accumulate tax-free towards your retirement. Number two, when you pay that money back that you borrowed, you're paying back with after-tax dollars, but the money that you put in there was with pre-tax dollars. Uh, All of these uh, are, are reasons why you should never borrow from the 401k. So and it's the, a bigger risk, isn't it? And the God forbid situation, what if you were to lose your job? Right. And now that loan that you took out to pay for your child's education is now going to be immediately due. Right. So that is a big problem. As you say, Linda and Deborah. that's a very big problem that you don't want to walk into because uh, you don't have to. You've isn't got the it, Parent Plus available. That's the first option. Right. Uh, There's another way to pay for it, and that's using, if you qualify in your home, a home equity line of credit. And that can be a smart choice, but I I don't really think that's the way to approach it. Which one is the lowest interest rate? Again, somebody is looking at this through the wrong set of glasses. My view is you need to realize if you've got a child and get ready to send them to Duke, if you take a Parent Plus program out, Parent Plus loan out, they let you spread that over 10 years. Now, when you start spreading it over 10 years, you're talking about X hundreds of dollars per month. And yes, there is interest, but that interest is on uh, that one loan that year. And the money is working for you. Again, it's an investment decision. You should only approach either of these options, the home equity, which might be a lot cheaper, but you can't get a fixed payment on a home equity by Uh, like a 10-year payment. You might refinance the home, and that's the third option. But I think these decisions need to be made with the help of a certified financial planner. We do do this in our office all the time. If you're out there listening and you have a child who is getting ready to go to college or uh, is already in college and you're wondering, you know, what are the pluses and minuses of the Parent PLUS program loans How does this work? Indeed, there are negatives and you need to work it out. And uh, my final advice would be 
don't touch your 401k. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Well, there was a really outstanding article in the USA Today, and it was on investing make, makes women anxious. What was, I agree with that. <laughs> all right. What was, the, uh, what was it about the article that you liked so much? Well, it, it was a very interesting uh, situation, sad in a way, but it was a life lesson, uh, I believe, well learned. Um, here's, here's a family, and you've got a husband and wife that are in their 30s, and it took uh, Kim's mother-in-law to go through a divorce. So her mother-in-law went through a divorce, and when it happened, she went to her son, who was a CPA, um, to get advice on how to figure out how to manage her investments. Um, and so, you know, here we have a family where the wife was taking care of the, the family's day-to-day expenses. So we're talking about a young couple, and here we have the wife taking care of paying the bills and the daily expenses. But her husband has always been the person that has managed their investments. Well, that's interesting because, you know, Linda, women are actually gaining financial independence to an unprecedented degree. They now make up the majority of college graduates. They're nearly half of the labor force. They're becoming the primary earners in many families. And yet, most of them that I have met and talked to are still uneasy or even uninvolved when it comes to talking about money and managing money. Yes, it's confirmed by a comment that the uh, the, the woman in the story, you know, the, the 33-year-old said, I knew nothing about it. I was just so ignorant about it that it made me scared. And we, you know, I know that this is a very common thing for many young couples and housewives and single moms that... Dealing with money and making decisions about investments is something that's not something they deal with on a daily basis, wouldn't you say? Well, I would. I would say that managing expenses isn't usually the problem. It's but making investment decisions that worries um, most women. And, and unfortunately, most retirees and the people who are going to be handling it the longest are going to be women. You're going to, in general, outlive um your spouse, and uh, I think that's why it's brought up so much. We and then there's the divorce rate. There's, there's an and incredible then number of uh, statistics now of marriages that face divorce, and then you have this widow, this uh, divorcee, who has this lump of money, and she's very often frozen, paralyzed, doesn't know because it has not been her function thus far. And now, how does she handle it? She's afraid of it very often. Um, it, it was interesting that. Um a uh, certified financial planner was quoted in the article. You know, if you if you fast forward 15 years, if you're the young couple or you're the young housewife, and 15 years from now, if something happens and your husband dies or um, some crisis comes up, then what happens is the wife doesn't know what to do in terms of managing the money. And the problem is that there's going to be a lot of bad decisions that are made. There'll be a lot of economic waste. And on top of it, a lot of scared people. So don't you find that in our practice, Doug? 
Well, I do, and I, of, well, I thoroughly enjoy the fact that the ones we see, they are eager to learn. They're eager. I would say, in my experience, and I hate to generalize, but I would say that if 80% of the clients that come to see us are, how can I say this best? I have a much higher uh, receiving statistic from the women than the men. The women are more eager to be educated. They want to know. And when you pop some of the myths that are out there they've heard about, they're really happy to have it clearly stated and so forth. And so I find there is a hunger to learn what is investing all about, what is financial independence, how do you compute it, how do you face the matter of all the other issues, cash flow planning, investment planning, insurance planning, should I have wills and trust, should I have stocks or bonds, mutual funds, uh, what is risk, all these things, once you start to share these with the women that come to see us, I'm finding it very rewarding. But they do come with a huge gap. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And I think that's where most of, of the people who call into our office during the week begin with when they talk with me is, I have a concern that I don't know enough. Can I come see you to learn more? And then it opens up this whole conversation. So while maybe male or female people begin with a, um, a, an uneducated point of view, I think that's where the, the financial planner really begins the conversation. This is an area where you're not supposed to be an expert, where we are and we can help you. You know, I've heard other financial peers of my own, uh, financial planners who are, who are my peers, say that their experience says that women don't like financial jargon. They find it very unwelcoming. They want to tune things out when people are explaining to them from a performance, per, uh, performance perspective. But on the other hand, uh, they do enjoy much more a longer conversation. Uh, when you sit down with uh, a man, very often... Some of my peers say it's going to be boom, 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 numbers, numbers, numbers. With a woman, it's more comfort, security, financial security in the future. Uh, And that is, uh, I like that. That's really financial planning as opposed to speculation and investing uh, with uh, playing with, you know, from the speculative viewpoint. I think those are the kinds of details that are important, you know, to recognize for all investors. But especially if you're in a, a, um, a woman out there in a similar situation with this responsibility placed on you, that that those those are generally the uh, conversation starters. How do I gain that sense of of uh, comfort and security? You know, it's it's interesting that um, although women, you know, they've done studies. And women uh, supposedly will live longer than men, but uh, a lot of women also are still in the generation where it's more accepted for a man to drive those decisions about investments, about, uh, right? I mean, this was the article was quoted as saying that, and uh, and 
part of the problem is that they just lack the knowledge because a lot of them haven't needed to do it in the past. I mean, just like your mom. Right, Doug? That's true at the older set, but also the younger set, too, Linda. I'm thinking of a couple that we met with recently, and she's the high-income producer. She's making uh, over $200,000, and he is not making maybe half of that. But on the other hand, she just loves what she does, and he is the one who is making the investment or has made the investment decisions in the past and so forth. So even in the younger set, I'm finding that the, uh, the, the woman, when she comes to see us, really uh, doesn't have a very good handle on financial concepts of investing, but is eager to learn. Uh, I do think that women need to get over their perceived inability to grasp financial concepts because they grasp it much faster, in my opinion, than the men. I agree. I agree. Well, this article pointed out some things. I think that's where the conversation begins. And then it changes when you're working with a financial planner. Somebody who really wants to educate you. Immediately, those gender stereotypes go away because everybody is concerned about their security. That's right. And their financial future. And I think that's where the conversation um, opens at, I, I don't know how things are going to ha- uh, be handled, or how am I going to retire, or how are we going to pay for the kids to go to college? But once you put those questions out there in front of a financial planner, then they are able to say, well, well, well here, th- these are the things that we can consider. And it was interesting, um, you know, this financial planner that was quoted said, when I speak to women, it's a longer conversation. And when I sit down with a couple or even a single man, our conversations are driven by investment performance and numbers. So when I'm speaking to a woman, it's more often about comfort and security, right? So if you're out there and you're a woman... Don't delay. You need <laughs> Work with a certified right. financial planner. It's your retirement, too. <laughs> it's your retirement, too. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to. DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Well, you know, there was another article that was in the News and Observer, and I believe it was last week. might have been the week before. I don't know if anybody saw it. It was one about dealing with a two-home marriage. I think that was a really great article because we're finding that um, um, those days, uh, you know, these days it's not an uncommon conundrum that a woman who owns a home of her own becomes engaged to a man who also possesses a property. And once they get married, they suddenly face perplexing questions. Should they sell one house and move to the other? Or should they sell both and move to a third? So in reality, this can be a very tough problem. It can be. And many a time through the years, we have sat with clients and walked through the issues of this problem. You're exactly right, Linda. The two-home marriage, especially with people getting married later and later in life or second marriages with adult children or kids in college or third marriages, Uh, I want to come back to this issue. Right now, we've got Joe on hold. Let's take Joe's question, then we'll come back to the two-home marriage. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to. DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Hi, Joe. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, along with Deborah Lewis and Linda Lewis. How can we help you this evening? Yes, uh, I have a question about the refinance the house I got. And I uh, need to know how do I get refinanced uh, without paying closing costs? 
Well, right now, the best way to refinance without paying closing costs is to ask them. Many times, they will do this for you. Uh, it's They're in a very competitive market right now. But I don't want you to pay the closing cost even if there are closing costs. Tell me a little bit about yourself first, Joe. How old are you? I'm about 63. 63. Tell me, are you married or single? Single. You're single. And is uh, your home, this is your home you're talking about? Yes. Uh, What's the value of your home? I'm sorry? The value of your home? It's about uh, 250 260 around that area. Okay, $250,000, let's say. And what's the mortgage that's dead that's owed on it? It's uh, two hundred. All right, so you have a $200,000 mortgage. And what are you presently paying? What are the interest chart? What's the interest rate right now? I'm paying like 5.75 right now. All right, so you've got a relatively high mortgage compared to what's out there. Um, tell me a little bit about your investment world and your income. Are you working, Joe, or are you retired? Yes, I'm working. I make like between fifty to 60000 a year. All right, so your income is fifty to 60000 a year. You're single. Are you supporting any children or just yourself? No, just myself. I get no credit card payments, no car payments, no nothing. All right. What about your investment world? How much do you have accumulated so far in non-retirement investments? I got nothing there either. Okay. So you've been spending everything you make, huh? Yes. All right. So you have no investments. That's not real good. Uh, what about your uh, retirement investments, your retirement portfolio? What do you have there? I have some money there. I took it out and nothing there left either. Why'd you do that? Well, because I needed it. I had some, I was out of work. I had to take it out. Well, here's the here's the answer. If you, first of all, your situation does not look good. You need to start accumulating very fast, correct? Yes. The way you can accumulate is to start what we call a pay-yourself-first investment plan, meaning every month, you need to invest a certain amount, and the way we get that amount is by analyzing your living expenses. So we analyze your living expenses, and then we find out what it is that you are spending every month, and then the difference between that and what you're bringing home each month needs to be invested at the beginning of the month. Yeah. In, so included in your expenses, you have this mortgage. What is your present mortgage uh, principal and interest payment? Uh, when I first when I bought it no right now how much does your more monthly payment oh it's about uh, 1600 all right so you're paying 1600 a month yeah. and what period is the loan 15 year or 30 year 30 years 30 year VHA all right if you refinance this loan to a new 30 year loan mm-hmm. and you tell the the bank, the lender, or the credit union, you want any closing cost to be wrapped into the new loan. Yes. You will probably have a difference in payment of about half what you're paying now. Yes. Now, we're just using make-believe numbers, but let's say that the new payment, instead of 1600 a month, is $800 a month. Yeah. That $800 a month needs to be invested every month by you as part of your pay yourself first plan. Yes. 
And then the closing costs don't matter because whatever the closing costs were, they were wrapped into the loan and they were spread over that 30-year period. So it becomes a, uh, a non-event. The only reason you should do this is to be able to start accumulating. And you accumulate by means of reducing the mortgage payment and investing the savings. Does that help, Joe? Yes. That would be great, wouldn't it, Joe, to, to reduce your, your mortgage payment? Yeah, but I called every place, you know, they have commercial on radio here and there for refinancing. They all, they, you know, they need the closing. They charge closing costs. So that, that's right. And, you, and they, but, they're, but they're willing, as long as there's enough equity in your home, they're willing to wrap the closing costs into the loan. Uh, Joe, if you will call my office, write down my phone number, 919. Yeah, I get it, 872 Very All good. Right, All right. <laughs> All right. Now, call the office tomorrow and speak to Deborah, and she will schedule an appointment for you to meet with me. Okay. Very good, Joe. Thank you for calling. Thanks. Thanks. Have a great week, Joe. Thanks for calling. Yeah, you too. Bye. Now, Deborah, you were into this or Linda, you were into yes. this two-home marriage. Yes, and you know because uh, as we said earlier, there are a lot of couples that well, or there are a lot of husbands or, or women or men that find that after uh, either the death of a spouse or you know a divorce that they get engaged and they have a property and they're fiance has a property as well or their husband or wife has a property so very common it's a dilemma very what common do, we do well it, it sometimes it's not easy to solve and i really like the way the article brought to the attention of the reader a couple of cases uh, there was a 30 something year old couple both of them were professionals they had two mid-sized suburban homes and so on well the way they did it they sought the help of a certified financial planner such as us and it said that they took five sessions with their financial planner before the couple could decide what to do. And what they decided was to rent out the wife's property and live in the husband's property. Uh, I'm not sure that that would have been my advice to them, uh, but that is what helped got, got, got the decision made by working with a financial planner. You know, I think in that one situation, right, Doug, they, uh, because they had children, you know, teenagers, um, they wanted to rent it out until his kids completed high school. That's right. That's and after yeah. that, they were going to sell both houses and buy a brand new place. That's right. Now, in a lot of these complicated situations, they are becoming more and more common to later life marriages, to couples that are getting married this go round when the kids are already gone. They're out of the home. And then there are... Uh, a whole different set of options here. Now we're not dealing with the question of school. A couple of pointers for two house couples, though. Number one, you should share your thoughts on housing with your new spouse. You know, it's uh, it's important before making any major housing decisions, even to write out on a list your personal priorities. You know, uh, the husband, his top priority might be a two-car garage and a short commute to work, maybe. The wife, her priority might be living in a large suburban property. But if you write it down, rather than just throwing your thoughts into the air, it's always better. And of course, if a deadlock develops, which probably probably will, very often does, that's the time the couple should make the decision to have a consultation with a financial planner 
with third-party objectivity. I think that is very good advice because people need to open their minds to other housing alternatives. And, you know, those that are remarrying after their children are grown up typically have more housing alternatives than do those that are still raising children. That's right. Once the kid's already grown and you're facing this issue, then one of you might want to move to the country and raise horses. The other might want to live in a condo in the city. So it's really important to go ahead and do that. I'm thinking of a couple that came to us a few years ago, and uh, she had a beautiful place on a mountain in another southern state, and he had a beautiful place here in this state. But the decision was, let's sell them both and get ourselves our own dream home in the mountains of North Carolina. And uh, we were part of that decision-making that went on for over a year. But it is important to uh, work through it because this is a new marriage and you're going to be you know, living in this place for a long time. And just like a lot of areas of financial planning, it definitely encompasses a lot of things. We need to sell a piece of property, so we need to be smart about cash flow planning. We need to be thinking about us, uh, about how we're going to pay for this. So we want to talk to an advisor for advice on, should we buy it? Should we uh, get a mortgage? How much house can we afford? afford? Should we sell both houses, buy a new house? And all of a sudden this conversation gets off on the emotional side of, well, wait a second, why are we selling my house and not selling your house? Or maybe we should both buy a new house together and, all of a sudden, the financial has turned into yeah, a mishmash of emotional, yeah, and it can very quickly be pulled apart. She doesn't want to live in the house where his ex-wife <laughs> ran the kitchen. Right, or, vice versa. or vice versa. Or vice versa. <laughs> or, 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 or if there's an age of the houses that are different. But all of this can be pulled apart by a financial planner. I remember when we had some clients that they wanted to sell all their properties so they could live on a boat. I remember them, <laughs> Linda, and they did it. And they did it. <laughs> they did it. You know, the, the whole issue of financial Although planning. I have to remember, the early sessions there, I, when he came up with this idea, and I looked across the table and said to her, how do you feel about this? She took a deep breath. <laughs> she said, well... I'm willing to give it a try. <laughs> For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. There was another interesting article that uh, I, I believe I saw in the Morningstar Investor. It had to do with someone had a huge portfolio and they wanted to cut it down to size Kind of interesting here. Hang on, I think I can get a hold of that article, Linda, because Morningstar is a very reputable source of analysis, third-party analysis of different mutual funds. And the writer in that particular issue, now that issue, I don't know if the public gets that issue very much. It's called Morningstar Fund Investor. But they offered a service which said, if you want us to look at your investment portfolio, send us the information and we will go make recommendations. And so what you're talking about here, I've got it here right in front of me now. The article was cutting a huge portfolio down to size. That was the article, right, Lynn? Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, Deborah. I don't know if you had a chance to look at that or if you saw it, but basically uh, the writer here says, I'm 56 years old, I'm single, and I have a million dollars saved. But I fear it's nowhere near enough 
and I wish I could work forever, but know that at my age, layoffs come quickly and out of nowhere. So this could be anyone. This is It could be. Her name was Catherine, but it could be anybody. Her email requested a portfolio makeover from Morningstar. She's a media professional. She has money in several different pools, including a 401k, a Roth IRA. She has a Roth, multiple taxable brokerage accounts, including one managed by her financial advisor. And her dilemma, she says, is my money is all over the place. Okay, so when he looked at this, he approached it as a money manager. She. No, he. Oh. Was it a he or she who wrote the article? Was it a she? Okay. (laughs) All right. Okay, so she writes there that she says, this lady, Catherine, is luckier than most because she's got a pension coming during retirement that's going to give her 25000 a year and Social Security. That's going to give her uh, about another 36000 a year. Her main goal is to make sure the total asset allocation of all of her accounts is on the right track. She knows that at this life stage... It's wise to start taking risk off the table. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to. DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Well, you know, as I was reading this, Linda, Deborah, I started looking at this and realized we're missing a lot of information here. We're missing, well... What kind of information would you want, Deborah, if we were going to meet with her and give her our opinion? Okay. Well, I guess I guess I'm missing I'm missing living expenses. That's right. How much does it cost for her to take care of herself right now? And then I guess I'm also listening missing living expenses that would be desired living expenses. What does she want to spend after she retires? That's another thing we're missing. And we're also missing what about Anything other than her mutual funds? What other assets are we missing? We don't have a financial statement. Does, we don't know. She, does she own any real estate? Does she own does any she real estate? Does she have a business? Does she have a business? Does she have some rentals, etc.? And, of course, we don't know what about her liabilities. Does she have a mortgage on her home? So all of this other information is financial planning information, which we usually, we will insist on having before we will give any advice. But this is a money manager's approach. And it's not one that we would use at all. But it's very interesting the way he approached it. Or she approached it, excuse me. The Morningstar writer approached him. The Morningstar writer says that Catherine liked to work. She wants to work up until she's 65 or 67, but she's bracing herself for the possibility. Worst case, she is going to lose her job within the next two years. And so she then looks at the portfolio with a before and an after. The before says... Catherine's portfolio is sprawling more than most portfolios, has 50 different funds. That's a big portfolio when you consider she's invested exclusively in mutual funds rather than 50 individual stocks. And then the analyst says, well, he or she sees 45% equity weighting, 27% in cash, 27% in bonds. Uh, The portfolio has a very big emphasis on inexpensive ETFs, and then comes the after portfolio, meaning the one that Morningstar recommended. And the after portfolio focused on, first, getting an asset allocation that makes sense, second, wanting to dramatically reduce the number of holdings, and finally, the right types of assets within each of her accounts. I agree with you, Doug, that we have a lot of missing information when we look at this article. And, uh, you know, and then we also realize that, wow, 
she has got a lot of stuff in a lot of pockets here. Mm-hmm. And so your question is, what would I have done? So what is your opinion on well, this whole scenario? First opinion is I don't have enough to make an opinion. That's the the bottom line is I don't, lacking information. We're lacking information. You should never give advice just on the portfolio. Our financial planning relations uh, re- recommendations, however, would have all been focused on actively managed funds. When I look at the after portfolio that Morningstar gave versus the before, there's a huge emphasis on index funds. Uh, there are two managed funds. Most of them are index funds and bond funds. No, 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 no. I would have no index funds. So our philosophy is stay away from index funds. <clears throat> That's right, Linda. Stay away from ETFs. That's right. Even if they're cheap. And the reason is, what's the reason, Deborah? It's the, it's the opposite of actively managed. So if something is just passive, then it's going to ride up when everything goes, ri- uh, goes up, and it's going to ride down when everything goes down. But if you pick a manager, you're picking a person, and you're, 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 you're basing your choice on their track record. That's right. And if you have their track record, then you can reasonably expect that they will do the same in the future. And if you don't like their track record. And if you don't like their track record, you can leave that person and go to someone else with a different track record. But if you're just floating up, floating down, floating up, floating down. That philosophy of floating and riding the market is something that we feel is not a a recipe for anything. It leaves you more exposed than you need to be. Exactly. Very well said, Debs. It is. And so, bottom line, I feel is that the Morningstar uses a money manager's approach. We use a financial planning approach. And I agree with you, Doug, because financial planning isn't just dealing with your investments. That's right. Financial planning deals with your whole world. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Another big area that that, uh, you can uh, find yourself needing a lot of advice on is estate planning. And when when we're talking about estate planning, there are some things uh, that are out there that we may not know a lot about, but they are called living wills. Living wills are very much a, a part of what we do in our firm at Lewis Financial Management for our clients. We make sure that on the estate planning side, that you have an advanced directive, which is a set of instructions that you give, which outlines your health decisions in the event that you're unable to make those choices yourself. And uh, one of those is the living will. The living will has nothing to do with what you think of when you think of a will. A will is what where my assets are going to go when I die. Right. The a will li- would take effect at your death, you know, after I'm after I'm dead. That's right. The living will can be very specific with regard to your medical treatments. And there are some specific medical treatments that you can consider and put into your living will, such as pain relief. How is it going to be managed if I become unable, if I become uh, disabled, incapacitated in the hospital? Uh, what about pain relief? How is it going to be managed? So let's l- look at a situation. You're driving down the road and all of a sudden you're in a bicycle accident. And you didn't plan on this happening. It was a sunny day and you had a bicycle accident. All of a sudden, you can't walk. You can't go to work. 
you cannot even feed yourself. So who's going to take care of you? If you You're have in not, the hospital. That's right, Linda, because if you have not had a medical directive created ahead of time, then the hospital will decide how much pain relief you are going to receive and how it's going to be managed, what antibiotics are treat, uh, as treatments for infections, uh, what about artificial feeding, all of these things you can put in your own living will, your own uh, health care power of attorney on your own. And what about cardiopulmonary resuscitation? Or what about ventilators, breathing machines? All of these things, we make sure that in our office, the client has already covered all these bases, as you said, Deborah, as part of total financial planning. So, so when you leave uh, instructions in a living will, you're basically uh, taking the... Um, Taking, taking the initiative to go ahead and write down, well, if something were to happen to me, I'd like this person to That's speak right. for me. That's right. And I'd like for them to speak on my behalf with these things in mind. That's right. We used to call that the health care power of attorney, that I am leaving power of attorney to my wife or to my daughter or to my uh, this person who will have the right to override what the doctor says. This person will make the decisions about my health and my body as if I were able to speak, able for, to myself. speak for myself and everything. No. Now that health care power of attorney is very often part of the living will. You know, there are various stages of life. And, you know, as we get older, our needs change. And as a caregiver, there are health decisions that have to be made with the loved one for whom you may be providing care. And it's a very sensitive subject. So, if you have not created a living will for yourself, make sure that you put that on the checklist of one of the things that you need to address, as well as health care power of attorneys, your will. If you have a will and you need it updated, put that on the checklist. And because your estate has grown, and your assets have grown, you may need to consider a revocable living trust. Right, Doug? That's right. All of that should be what's going to happen this year. Awesome. Okay. And if you are, like a lot of people in the United States, um, getting married maybe late in life or a second time, there is often a consideration of whether or not estate plans and prenups should be a part of that uh, consideration before you tie the knot. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. You know, Deborah, I'm glad you brought that subject up because uh, as recent as last year, we had two cases like this. Uh, prenuptial agreements aren't just about protecting assets in case of divorce. Increasingly, these contracts are being used as an estate planning tool by men and women. And so these prenuptials are particularly popular because of shifts in the, demography, dem uh, the, the demographics of marriages later, second marriages, and so forth. Most people are remarrying later and baby boomers are now starting to take estate planning more seriously. So you can use these prenuptial agreements on this second marriage as an estate planning tool. What happens when I die? What I came into this marriage with either does or does not go to my second wife. Uh, maybe it goes to my children uh, we can put into this prenuptial, which, of course, we did last year for clients. We can put into it the matter of the home. 
now we're living, who, you know. Right, a first home, like the one that you're sharing and living in as your primary residence, or even a second home. Uh, a prenup can protect those assets from becoming mixed in with assets and property accumulated during the marriage that would be divvied up as part of someone's estate after death. And you know, Deborah, this is a real flashpoint right now. Vacation homes between surviving spouses and stepchildren. Uh, we can come up with a lot of different ways to make it exactly what you want by discussing it in the office as part of the total financial planning. We can do what's called qualified personal residence trusts. Those are called cuperts. We can go ahead and have uh, uh, lifetime benefits to live in the home for the second spouse after the the first one has passed away, but then maybe it passes to the children. It just needs to be part of the whole financial planning process, not just which mutual funds do I own. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Sometimes when the situation is dire or sad or you're facing a serious illness, um, this, is, this is really when some people uh, are not paying attention, who had not been paying attention, really uh, sit up straight and start getting concerned about what to do you know, in their own financial planning. Um, you know, Deborah, this is another area of financial planning which many people totally ignore. We call it pre-mortem planning. Yes. Uh, let's say that you have been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Well, in many cases, that's when people let their finances fall to the wayside. Nevertheless, coming up with a financial plan right at that time may be very crucial. I can think of a number of situations which we have had through the years, even last year. Uh, there can be bedside planning. You may want to go ahead and change the ownership. Uh, you've been diagnosed with a terminal illness. To change the ownership of a of a piece of property, for example, that you, that your wife and you own together, to move it into your name, so that the step up in basis will occur at the time at your death, at your death, she and inherits. then it goes back to her. It can then be sold tax free. What about the investment portfolio to redesign it in such a way that it meets your needs over the remaining months or a period of time? But all of these things need to be talked about, not need to be ignored. And I think it's and if there's enough time, I know uh, uh, you know people can get very creative. They they can say, well, I have a life insurance policy that I no longer need or um, would like to use better to where I can uh, either spend the last days better or better leave. That's right. You know, the, access the cash value. Yes. Access the cash so, value. There's a lot of creativity. Uh, there, there is creativity in premortem planning, and it needs to be brought to the whole world of the client. And make sure beneficiaries are named correctly on your financial accounts. Oh, that's yeah. important. That's important, Linda. There's so many things that are part of total financial planning that really needs to be out there. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug. Linda and Deborah. You can listen to our podcast online at WPTF.com. Join us next Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m. on WPTF.
Call us to set your appointment this week. 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. You've been listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with the Lewis Family.